Hello friends, you are welcome to Nationhood Podcast and to this introductory episode titled, What is a Nation? Today, I'm going to explain the show and give you some basic understanding of its objectives, relevance and key concepts. I anticipate that if you stick around till the end, you will have a clearer picture of what this podcast is about, the way it would operate and how you can participate. And so, having shared these preliminary thoughts, let us begin. This is a podcast on the history of nationhood in Africa. A common source of agitation across the continent today is the call by nationalist groups for political self-determination. In Nigeria, for instance, two significant examples stand out. Since 2009, proponents of IPOB, or IPOB, which is an acronym for the indigenous peoples of Biafra, have called for an independent state to be carved out from the southeast region of Nigeria. Harking back to the Civil War of 1967 to 1970, which is sometimes referred to as the Biafran War, the new state being proposed would also be named Biafra. Though it is certain that the new Biafra's ethnic composition would principally be Igbo, IPO proclaims that its constituent nation-states, meaning its ethnic minorities, would have equal political and economic rights. A second example of ethnic nationalism can be found in southwest Nigeria, where, from December 2020, long-time demands for a Yoruba nation coalesced around an avowed freedom fighter called Sunday Adeyemo. Commonly known as Sunday Igbo, Adeyemo accused migrant Fulani herders from northern Nigeria of killing a Yoruba politician on his way home from the farm. His accusation was unfounded and the murder was later attributed to political motives. However, the incident was interpreted as the latest in perennial episodes of land conflict between northern cattle herders and southern farmers. Frustrated, Igboho issued a seven-day ultimatum for Fulanese to vacate the southwest. The ultimatum expired, so he led a demonstration of Yoruba youths to a Fulani settlement in Nebarapa town, Oyo State, where property, including the home of the Fulani community leader, got burnt. A few weeks later, Igboho led another match of Yoruba youths in neighboring Ogun State, where similar carnage was visited on the Fulani community in Yewa town. Riding the wave of ethnic popularity, Igboho set up a mega rally to be held on July 3, 2021 in Lagos. The plan was to demand the creation of a nation for the Yoruba, but he could not attend the Lagos rally because security agents were on his tail. Two days before the rally, the government raided his residence in Ibadan, but failing to arrest him, claimed he escaped after a gunfight, leading to the launch of a national manhunt. These ugly, if dramatic events are symbolic of a common problem across Africa, that is, a deep-seated mistrust amongst ethnic groups. Fundamentally, it is driven by fears that one group will dominate another. As a result, even the simplest societal problems are regularly framed in ethnic terms. For example, a dispute between members of a WhatsApp group or a promotion within the civil service can quickly send people into enclaves from which they hurl accusations of ethnicity at those they perceive are operating an identity agenda. The reality is that ethnic considerations often take precedence over merit and other factors like equity, diversity, and inclusion. But even when it does not factor, suspicions that others are working to ensure their ethnic group gains advantage over others frequently infects everyday life. Beyond individual and community attitudes, there may also be institutional explanations. We can take another situation from Nigeria, 
where it is not uncommon for public services to request information that discloses a person's ethnic origins, even when such information is not relevant to the provision of the required service. A common example is the driver's license. When filling the application form, you have to indicate your state and local government of origin, even if you have never lived there. Such requirements cut across several spheres of daily life, including admissions to schools, employment considerations, and bidding for government contracts. Thus, once ethnicity follows them about, even if it does not form the basis of their everyday engagements with others. It has also been observed that ethnic instinct is a common basis on which calls for nationhood are made in many other African countries. However, it is not the only reason. In some places, ethnic-based separatism is complicated by religious beliefs. The West African country of Mali fought a war against ethnic Tuareg insurgents between 1990 and 1996. Unhappy with their minority status and poor access to economic opportunities within the Malian state, the Tuaregs declared their own state in the northern half of Mali and named it Azawad. After six years of conflict, the secessionist movement failed and an uneasy peace was reached. In 2006, former fighters from the 1990 insurgency rose against the Malian government again. This time, the conflict lasted until an accord was reached in 2008. However, once again, this peace did not last. After Gaddafi fell, Tuareg exiles in Libya returned to Mali and resumed the rebellion with an attack on the Malian military in January 2012. Frustrated by the government's incompetence, military officers deposed the president in March of that year. The political confusion in Mali during this period was the chance the rebels needed. Under the auspices of the National Movement for the Liberation of Azawad, MNLA, Tuareg rebels, inspired by jihad, declared the Islamic Emirate of Azawad on April 6, 2012. It took the efforts of French forces to reclaim the territory for Mali by 2013, followed by a peace accord in 2015. However, Mali remains unstable today, and the jihadist violence has spilled into the neighboring countries of Burkina Faso and Niger. But the politics of nationhood is neither new nor unique to Africa. Between 1968 and 2018, that is, half a century, a separatist group attempted to establish sovereignty from Spain in the Basque region through violence. Britannica estimates that over 800 people died in this violence. As politically polarizing as Basque nationalism may have been, Spain faced an even bigger question of separatism from Catalonia, one of its richest economic regions. And yes, I'm talking about the same Catalonia where FC Barcelona is based. But this is not a football podcast, so on with the show. On October 1st, 2017, Catalonia's political leader supported a referendum to decide if the region should remain in Spain. Although the government declared the referendum illegal, 90% of Catalonians voted for independence. In response, the Spanish government dissolved the regional parliament of Catalonia and jailed many of its political leaders. To evade arrest, the president of Catalonia, Carlos Puigdemont, went into exile. 2,000 kilometers north of Spain, Supporters of Britain's referendum to exit the European Union, also known as Brexit, boasted of better results than their nationalist counterparts in Catalonia. On June 23, 2016, 52% of British voters opted to leave the EU, and after jumping through several hoops, Brexit was actualized under the premiership of Boris Johnson on January 31, 2020. 
But the political fallout of Brexit was the demand by the Scottish National Party, backed by the Scottish Assembly, for a referendum that would take Scotland out of Britain because Scotland did not want to leave the EU and was only forced to do so by Brexit. I have shared these examples to underscore the point that nationalist agitations occur in a variety of contexts around the world. They form an integral part of most political histories. The historical list of claims to self-determination is endless. By now, you may have already guessed that some demands for nationhood end with the agitators getting their wishes. However, many others do not. A lot of times, nationhood is claimed in violent terms and almost always it is bitterly contested not just politically and economically, but just as often socially and culturally. What we will do in this podcast is to explore the historical and contemporary meanings of nationhood in Africa. The question at the core of this endeavor would be, what is a nation? Is nationhood a concept purely driven by ethnic and religious ideologies, or are there other factors of social, cultural, economic and political importance? Even though the subject of nationhood can be quite theoretical, we will discuss it in simple language to facilitate understanding. As it traces the history of nationhood in Africa, this podcast will bring fresh insights to the modern history of the continent. For example, it will put emphasis on the role played by information and communication technology in promoting or impeding nationalist agitations. It is my hope that by this approach, listeners who are new to the subject of nationhood will be equipped with knowledge they find relevant, while those who are already well-versed will be stimulated by the exchange of ideas. Armed with this objective, we would interrogate a variety of issues bordering nationhood ambitions in Africa, beginning in the late 19th century all the way up to present times. Some questions you may already be pondering are, how did nationalist agitators of the colonial era emerge and organize themselves to succeed in their objectives? Consequently, much of the podcast content would include discussions about independence movements, the process of decolonization, and the ideas around which colonial era nationalists coalesced. Also, since they won the ultimate prize of independence, we will take a look at why agitations for political self-determination continue today. Take a moment to consider this last point. Since the imperial powers finally succumbed to pressure for African independence only 70 years ago, why are there so many demands to break up the political entities that emerged from decolonization? In other words, what do the recent calls for nationhood signify? Do current nationalist movements simply seek to break with the colonial past that created African nations of today? And if not, are there other legacies from the colonial era that inform today's demands for nationhood? Regardless of these, the podcast will see what connections can be made between nationalism in Africa today and nationalism under colonial rule. In terms of impact, we would analyze how nationalism shaped political organization in African countries. And, at a micro level, the discussions will range from the different reactions to colonialism, such as resistance and collaboration, to an examination of how nationalism shaped individual and community identities and existence. There is no doubt that all these interesting issues justify an inquiry into past, present, and future theories about the meaning of nationhood. For our discussions to make sense, certain parameters have to be established. We start from the definition of a nation. Our reference point for what constitutes a nation will be the countries that emerge from post-colonial Africa. This may seem obvious, but it is important to lay this down for two reasons. The first is that we can have a more coherent discussion of the history of nationhood in Africa by following the geographic and political boundaries established during the colonial era. And so, 
whereas African societies existed before colonization, it was within the countries created by colonialism that colonial-era nationalists fought for African independence. The second issue relates to those nationalist movements contesting the validity of African countries today, based on the popular argument that they were bettered by colonialism and thus are unnatural. To discuss modern nationalism, we must know what is being rejected. Based on the foregoing, when the podcast discusses nationalities, it would be as a function of African countries as they are, regardless of whether the nationalist movements being analyzed identify with that nationality or not. Therefore, a member of IPOB may identify as a Biafran, but in describing their nationality, I will refer to them as Nigerian. This may seem counterintuitive for some because the podcast explores anti-establishment conceptions of identity. Still, it cannot be otherwise, as today's countries are the generally accepted units of national sovereignty who wield local authority and attract universal recognition. However, the way nationalist agitators want to be identified would be discussed. Sticking with geography, it may be possible, though arduous, to discuss nationalism across all 54 countries in Africa. However, such an approach will be quite impractical because I intend to take a deep dive into nationhood and not simply conduct a cursory survey. So I will use a range of African countries as case studies that draw attention to the various types of colonial governments that operated in that period. The European powers that carved Africa into colonies were Britain, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, and Germany. Another significant figure in the partitioning of Africa was King Leopold II of Belgium, who held the Congo as personal property. Each of these colonizers operated a unique form of government, and though similarities existed, they operated in their own style. As a result, our quest to understand nationalism in Africa would benefit from an evaluation of the different colonial contexts within which the phenomenon emerged. Other factors that inform the choice of case studies are geographic location, geopolitical significance, and the theoretical contributions of key nationalist agitators like Kwame Nkrumah. As a result, the podcast would investigate nationalism in places like Ghana, Senegal, Congo, Tanzania, Angola, Libya, and Equatorial Guinea. Each of these countries will be discussed over a number of episodes. Another parameter that needs to be established is the time period the podcast would cover. There is no doubt that Africa's political, economic, and sociocultural history goes well beyond the colonial era. But because our focus is nationhood, epitomized by the independence struggles, and given daily relevance by the contemporary legacies of the colonial era, we would pay more attention to the 100-year period between the 1880s, when the scramble to partition Africa started amongst Europeans, to the 1980s, when colonialism was over and African countries were mostly under African rule. However, we would give a nod to events outside of this period, such as the transatlantic and trans-Saharan slave trades, which were pre-colonial events, and the cessation of apartheid in South Africa, which happened in the post-colonial era. Still on the subject of timing, the plan is to release new episodes of the podcast every month. This may result in long waits, but I can promise that the wait will be worth the while. Scheduling challenges make it impossible at this time to release new episodes every week or fortnight, but listeners can count on a fresh and rich episode about the middle of every month. There will also be occasional bonus episodes, so look out for those. What this means is that although standard releases will be published once a month, some months will have at least two episodes. 
I don't intend to be very rigid about the duration of each episode, but suspect that there is a sweet spot between 30 to 45 minutes for an episode. That means you can listen to it as you commute to work or from work, as you work out, at a work break, or during other periods of leisure or relaxation. Still, if an episode needs to be longer or shorter, then it will be. Somewhere in between, listeners will have the chance to pitch questions and even vote on the topic or country to cover. There will also be occasional dialogues with experts on African history as well as political theory. Also, before we get into the details of nationalist movements in the selected countries, there are a few general topics that we have to cover, such as the scramble for Africa, which you have already heard me describe as the partitioning of Africa. This was the world-changing event that placed the whole continent under European rule, with the exception of Liberia, which was established by the United States and received its protection, as well as Ethiopia, which defeated Italy in a war and thus thwarted its colonial ambitions there. Last of all, the podcast is not a platform for campaigning for the actualization of nationalist ambitions. Nay, it is not even politically affiliated. Rather, it is an effort at bringing history and the meaning of nationhood into the consciousness of everyday Africans. If you made it to this point, thank you for sticking around. I hope you are as excited as I am about the prospects of having engaging discussions. You can follow Nationhood Podcast on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. I look forward to meeting you there as well. On a final note, I think it is fair to say that when the Imperial Powers of Europe convened at the Berlin Conference to partition Africa between November 15, 1884 and January 31, 1885, it is unlikely that they anticipated the impact of the forces they were about to unleash. Now, some popular arguments suggest that African societies were passive and politically immature, making it easy for the Europeans to take over their societies. Some other scholars disagree. Adu Boahen, a Ghanaian academic, has argued that after Britain abolished the transatlantic slave trade in 1833, many African societies enjoyed a good degree of prosperity and experienced political maturity. So, next time, we will take a look at how African societies existed in the 50 years between the legal end of slave trade and the start of colonialism in the late 19th century, a period that I refer to as the calm before the storm. <laughs>